Thank you for tuning in to Aggie Catholic Talks. This talk is a recording from The Well on October 7th, 2021. Kevin Pesek, one of our campus ministers, sat down with our guest speakers from Magnify, Father Angelus Montgomery and Father Gabriel Bakar, who are Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. They talked about how to encounter the poor. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date with other talks from St. Mary's. Thanks, God bless, and gigum. And our topic tonight is encountering the poor, okay? So I'm going to let them go and introduce themselves briefly, kind of your names, what you do with the friars, that kind of stuff, and then we'll dive in. I'm Father Gabriel. Um, actually, I've been here for a few years. This is uh, my 23rd year as a friar, actually. And this is the first time I came to St. Mary's is in 2000 when Rachel was a student. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, and with the, with the friars, I lived with Father Father Angelus. I was his vocation director back in back in the day. Uh, and when at our friar, we served the poor. We have uh, a bit of a, a soup kitchen and outreach to the poor, visiting their homes. And uh, also, I'm a part-time chaplain with Focus. Thank you, thank you, Father Gabriel. Hey, everybody. My name is Father Angelus. Go go team. Mm -hmm. I'm for, originally from Nebraska, but I've been in the community since 2009. So that, that's a little bit of time. Not as old as Father Gabriel. <laughs> but I currently am the vocation director for our community. So get the joy of working with a lot of young men discerning their vocations. Anybody out there? Anybody? We'll talk later. Thank you. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a great gift to be with you all. And um, yeah, it's a joy. I, I was here for Seek last, last year. Yeah, so and uh, maybe come again, too. So thank you. So to start with, can y'all kind of share um, like some various examples of what the friars do to work with the poor? This we get past this. We're going to defer to the other usually, and then it's, mm -hmm. someone's going to have to take it. But yeah, so the Franciscan life uh, started. Uh, anybody celebrate the Feast of St. Francis this past week? <laughs> we celebrate octaves, so we're having dessert every day for eight days. We had ice cream and cookies today. It was awesome. Anyway, we'll have a beer if anybody offers it as well. <laughs> Wow, see, I like that. Everybody's like, I got you, I got you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, celebrating the Feast of St. Francis this, this past week, we, yeah, the, the fire for our own community and Franciscans around the world is rekindled. And Francis had this really foundational experience with the leper. I'm sure you guys know that story, but which set his heart on fire for what it means to experience Jesus in the poor. So Francis didn't just feel bad for him and serve him, but Francis had this quite mystical experience of when he encountered the leper, he saw Jesus. And so obviously being descendants and receiving the inheritance of this charism, this gift of the Holy Spirit that was alive in Francis, is also alive in Franciscans, but also the church today to be able to experience and seek and pursue Jesus in the poor and then being able to see them in a unique way that Francis did. Still trying to live that now in 2021. Uh, we have 16 or 17 friaries uh, around the world and each friary has a unique identity where they live. We're in England and Ireland and Central America. Has anybody been to our friary in Central America? Mission trip? Go team? Way to go, Madeline. Um, but unique missions uh, based on the country, based on the, the city, the neighborhood, but all kind of around this idea of seeking the outcast, seeking the lowly, seeking the poor, and not going to solve poverty, not going to solve any sort of social issues, but actually bringing Jesus into the lives of, the, of those who are in need and, and those who need him. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful gift to, to really try to live that way. One thing, one thing we try to, um, 
to make happen, if you will, with the poor, is to be a consistent presence. I remember when my first assignment was uh, working with the Spanish-speaking poor in, in Yonkers, New York, working uh, really to help out those who were day laborers and who would come and they would, they would try to find work, but they didn't. We had a place called Casa Juan Diego where they would come. And I worked there for, for nine years. Uh, and the great blessing is when, you're, when they realize that you're there to stick around and they realize, they're, you're, one, you're there to listen, but you're willing to live alongside with them. You're not there just to serve them. You're really there to be with them. And I remember one time we took them, there's a family that has a farm house, and we took them for a retreat, and they just realized, and I realized, like, we're, we're all together uh, in this. And there was kind of like a, uh, more than just the feeling of at home, but really a, a feeling like we're, we're all family. And it's there in which we really get to encounter Christ in them and they in us. And there we really get the experience we're all really part of the body of Christ. And there which disappears also kind of like all that we either materially have or immaterially, our education. Any of those which can be obstacles kind of like dissipate and a true, uh, true encounters take place within that. And that's what we, we try to foster, but it's difficult. Like you can... You can throw me on the street, and no one knows me, but I still have my education, my degrees, and my connections. But the poor don't have that. So for us, like part of our responsibility is to try to live as if we don't have that, and to try to be in every way without privilege. And this is something that you, you're all blessed because you have things which no one can ever take away from you. And this is really where Jesus invites us to really to be with others. Kind of building on that question, I mean, obviously you guys take a vow of poverty and that allows you to be in solidarity with the poor in a very powerful way. Is there any advice you have for college students in a sense to be in solidarity with the poor in their own lives? There's a, a great book, I've looked through it and I just saw it in the bookshelf one of, of here, Happy Are You Poor? And uh, it's, it's really a good book because it's not just about material poverty, it's but about how what relationship do material goods and other goods and people have on our hearts? We're called to have our hearts uh, to be free. And when we are not attached to other things or attached to other people, there's a radical availability that exudes from us. Therefore, we can enter into our into encounters with those who are material poor or who are emotionally poor or whatever expression of poverty you may have, and you'll be holding back, hopefully this is the goal, holding back nothing of yourself for yourself. Yeah, I think the, the challenge for all of us, um, especially I imagine people in this room are like growing in discipleship, growing in conversion, growing in healing. So you're like pursuing the Lord. Like the big stuff doesn't get us anymore, right? Hopefully the, we're, we're on that journey. And so in, in our own experience of what we need to convert in our hearts, uh, my proposal would be, and I know it's for me, even my, my regular confessions as a professional, if you will, is how much of the world has a hold on me. And, and worldliness is what gets me mostly. World we, the worldliness is what distracts me. Worldliness is what makes me lukewarm. So even as disciples in the world, like how much of the world has your heart? The whole point of, of this reality of being poor, being spiritually poor, being needy, being uh, weak before the Lord is that then the Lord can come and fill me. But if I'm filled by other things... If I'm filled by the world, if I'm filled by my own gifts and talents, if I'm filled by what I think is important, my own opinions, my own preferences, if I don't ever 
allow the Lord to loosen those things in me, then I, then I don't ever need anything from him, right? And so if, if we're full of our own stuff, then we, instead of making space for the Lord, then we fill our hearts with things as well, our rooms with things, then there's really no space with him. What we listen to, what we watch, what we do, how we act, all that stuff is just, the world's just constantly tempting us, constantly uh, competing, right? So there's a comp- competition for our hearts. So the challenge is, is how do we live in the world but limit the world? You know, and, and it's easier for us because we get to live in a priory and we're protected by our brothers. We don't have internet. We don't have TV. We don't have cell phones. We don't. And so we're protected. And it's still hard. So there's great mercy that we all have for you in the world. But in that competition, the, what's the fruit of that in your life? Is the fruit of, like, you have a closet full of stuff you never use? A bookshelf full of books you never read? You know, a bank account full of money that just kind of sits there? Right, so what is the world, and, and uh, yeah, what is your YouTube channel filled with, and what are you, what are you consuming, and what are you, what's happening? And, and again, we have to face that too, but what is your relationship with the world? And the challenge is, is how can you grow in that and limit that so there's better influences, especially the Lord that has on you instead of, and there's space for that to happen. We do four times a year what we call a poverty check. And so the house gets together, we sit around a table, and we talk about, we go through each room of the house, each particular, we just, the other day we just, uh, Poverty checked all the, the spice cabinet. Isn't that funny? <laughs> you, it's incredible what we had in the spice cabinet. We're like, why in the world do we have this? We never use this. Or why do we have four garlics? We just need one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but, and then you poverty check the library, and you poverty check the sacristy, and you, then you look at your cell, and you're like, man, that book has been on that shelf, and I've never used it. I'm going to put it in the library so other brothers can enjoy it. You know, pots and pans, that's a huge pot that we never use. So we gave it away. It's like the neighbors love that. I mean, it's a huge pot for one person, but they loved it. They took it. <laughs> but what does it mean for you guys to have this moment where you look through your stuff? And, and we, can, we can be like, if we have a lot, when we get rid of a little, we might pat ourselves on the back. Oh, look at me getting rid of stuff. Make it hurt. Give away your favorite shirt. How many pairs of shoes do we need? One pair of sandals, that's it. <laughs> but... I think, it's, I think it's beautiful. And have a friend do it with you. Have a, maybe a spiritual director, some, some, someone that holds you accountable. And what does it do? It just it allows yourself to push back against the world just for a day. allows yourself to make some space. And, and you bless other people with your stuff, too. Like, I don't need all this stuff. I can bless someone else who doesn't have as much. So anyway, let me know how the poverty check goes. You need garlic for vampires. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Not like four things. Yeah, not four. <laughs> Would you mind sharing about a time, maybe, uh, maybe when you first entered the Friars, when again the, that encounter with the poor was very fresh, maybe very new? Can you kind of sh- maybe share one of those experiences, maybe how that impacted you, and maybe your entire ministry going forward, how it uh, altered your vision, or maybe what you, how you view the poor? Go first. So, a uh, fact that I'm not necessarily proud of: I never served the poor before I joined the Friars. It's like I don't know what I was discerning. It's like, <laughs> holy cow. <laughs> But it was real for me. So, like, all my discernment visits and things, I mean, I was a white middle-class guy from Nebraska. I was discerning in New York City with a community that was on the streets in the hood. It's like, what am I doing? So, but it was what is wonderful because when you're called, you're called and experience the grace of the Franciscan life, the, the grace of intimacy with Jesus, being consecrated to him, which was the deepest desire of my heart. And so it doesn't really matter what I do after that. But there was a veil lifted. Like for St. Francis when he saw the leper, there's a veil lifted when you realize that because of the gospel, because in particularly, we all know that Matthew 25, when we're called to serve the poor, 
and see Jesus in the poor and meet Jesus in the poor. I had graces of being a new friar, especially as a postulant, where I was so terrified and fearful and probably made every excuse to be like, oh my gosh, I can't give myself in this way. But there was sincere moments of grace where, again, you realize that the person you're talking to, there's not that much difference between you and them. We all have need of mercy and goodness. We all have need to someone to listen and someone to hear us and someone to share our hearts with. And when that veil started to lift, I started to experience a new experience of Jesus. That, again, Jesus says, like, it's, it's the sacramental reality. Obviously, we have the Eucharist. We have the word of God in the Eucharist or where Jesus' presence is revealed to us in the most. But what do you guys think Matthew 25 is when you say you meet him in the, in the hungry, the naked, the thirsty, the imprisoned? There's a sacramental reality when we experience and when we allow our hearts to go and see and meet Jesus there. And I got just rocked by that as a new friar. And it, again, it opened up this whole new experience of Jesus. Of like, am I going to meet him today? And you start to look forward to that. And there were beautiful moments of grace um, when I was able to see him as a new friar. And now you feel like we're, as, t- as time goes on, you know, like we're vets now. We have all these young, young guys who have much more energy than we do. <laughs> but you see them, it's happening to them too. Everybody has the unique experiences of the poor before they join and you see almost the, their eyes, the veil being lifted, or their eyes being opened to the poor. It's really, really powerful. I, I was professionally trained to be with the poor. Uh, I studied social work. Um, and in one sense, it, it, was, it made it more difficult um, on different levels. And in one sense, I had to do a, a study on, on the homeless, which was, that was very good. I, I really literally had to go out and meet the homeless and uh, ask them questions as to, uh, about themselves to see if there's correlation, different correlations. But then I, I worked at Catholic Charities with, with the doing emergency assistance counseling, and it was difficult because I had to decipher whether they're telling the truth so as to know whether they are entitled to certain benefits. But there's one circumstance within Catholic Charities and their adoption agency kind of like with, had a very lasting impact when I was going through the, uh, some of the files of people who were uh, giving up their child for, for um, adoption, and I saw someone who was my classmate. And it just really, even that person wasn't materially poor, but it, it shows kind of like uh, the struggles that we all can go through. And, and it was like a prompting for myself to put myself kind of like in her, uh, a, a circumstance of like her, her future is... Uh, it's, it's a tough decision there. It's a tough decision. And the, the choice that she made to give up her baby was that of tremendous uh, sacrifice, but in many ways, because she was in college, a heroic act, very heroic. And it kind of like, it, kind of, it, it, it called me to, greater, to greatness, to greater sacrifice and appreciation and awareness of what's going on in the lives of others. It brought me out of my world, and I'm, r- I'm t- ever so grateful for that. And I never haven't seen her since. I do still pray, I pray that she is doing very well. Um, but yeah, that was my encounters. But just overall with, with that, but um, yeah, that, that's really led me to kind of like to approach the poor with that, with that reverence that's due to them. So a lot of students have submitted questions for this today, and a couple of them kind of had the classic, what do I do with the guy on the corner? And he looks at me, he's holding a sign for money, do I give him money, do I say a prayer for him? 
Um, something I, I ran these questions by Madeline, of course, because she's smarter than I am at these things. And she made the point of wanting me to ask you, how do we perhaps encounter the poor or even see them without giving them something? Like, is there a value in that? Or should I, you know, give the guy a couple bucks and God bless you? What is the value maybe in encountering them without giving them something? One of the greatest, really the greatest needs is to be recognized. And it's, it's hit or miss here. But like even just recently, we're coming home from Catholic underground and someone is, and there's a light that is always, almost always someone waiting there and knocking the door. And just to engage into conversation, to look them into the eye, and just to offer a prayer, and we all, brother, one of the brothers with me, to, to give a little miraculous medal, or if we have something to eat, oftentimes we have uh, like snacks or something that they can, they can take with them to give them something like that. Um, but to give money, it's, 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 it's difficult because we've seen uh, the, the challenges that, that are there. There's a great story of one of our guys who studied in Rome, and he, it was a class with a bunch of Franciscans, and they would go in uh, to, the, to the building every day, and there was always this guy who was begging on the front steps and passing him every day and every day. And then one of the professors one day, all these, again, all these Franciscans, these professionals at serving the poor, just stopped, and he said, hey, I have a question. Does anybody know the beggar's name on the front step? No one did. Does anybody know his name? It's a question. We don't usually give out money, so it's not, I, I totally understand that. That's, we need to be cautious there, but do, we, do you know them? Do you pay attention to them? Do you know their name? Passing by them and saying, hey, bro, I know I can't give you, but good morning, John, or good morning, someone that you know, and you give them this moment of seeing them, that's what we're going for, right? And, and put a when you go to the store, just buy an extra box of granola bars and a, some water bottles and keep them in your car. And then and you can give them a granola bar and say, good morning, John, and bless him. And it'd be cool to learn to what it means to pray with people. Hey, John, how can we pray with you today? How can we pray for you? Like just to get to know him a little bit, right? It depends on how much time you have. But the encounter is what is important in knowing and his name goes a long way. He feels seen. Um, and so it's starting to just understand that this is a person in front of you who has a story this was a person uniquely willed and loved by the Lord. Um, so, yeah, but it's good. It's just not to move too fast and not to miss people, but to be in that. It is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. We don't, off, we don't give money, but what does it mean to still give the person the dignity that they, they deserve? I know something that I struggle with and something that obviously somebody else struggled with here. Uh, for example, we went on a mission trip to Denver this summer. And we got to serve in a, in a, in a soup kitchen at, at a homeless shelter. And I found myself as I was serving these, these women with, again, a, a joyful heart. I was happy to be there. But, again, seeping into my mind, unconscious, subconscious thoughts of judgment, of, you know, almost, I don't know, like pulling away a little bit. You know, almost like, I don't know, you know how, how do we kind of purge that from ourselves, of being uncharitable? Like, I'm there to show up, and I'm like, as I'm serving them, I'm like, oh, what? What, hap what happened to you, or what, what's, what are you struggling with, or how did you end up here? How do we, in a sense, again, be more charitable in our thoughts? Sometimes when I meet someone, I'm, I'm in a similar situation, and I decide to just continue to have a conversation and to, and to have the conversation for a number of minutes. Then there's uh, many times just a, a greater understanding of where the person's coming from, and sometimes even a shift in their disposition where you really get to see them. And it's there that kind of like it dispels perhaps some of the initial uh, judgments or even prejudices that, that I had uh, initially. And so just really taking the time 
to, to go there, because sometimes, like I was just sharing, sometimes people have this front they, they start with, and then once you, once they realize that you're really seeing them, and then they let go of putting on a front or persona, and then they're really drinking what they really want, is this to be seen and to be known, and to be to a special, a personal relating to, that you're not just a, a figure, you're not just a, someone who's anonymous, but you're someone who's known. I would just add too, those are great moments because it's humbling, like, because I need to be converted. Like, so when I feel that judgment come in my heart, I needed to like step away and be like, oh gosh, like there's con real conversion that needs to happen in my heart. And the only way that happens is when I go humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, like my love and my goodness and, and what I'm gonna give this person is not enough. And so we need, Jesus' heart is what needs to be manifested. And so Lord, come into me and help me. Like I can't love as I should, I, I'm gonna fall short. And so, Lord, it's your love and it's your mercy and your goodness, but I need more of that. So until we recognize that it's actual healing and conversion that needs to happen and to feel it is good, it stings. But what do we do with that? Well, to, to try to go before the Lord. Recognizing, you know, that the greatest good we can give somebody is for them to know Jesus, right? For, for him to give them the love that we cannot give perfectly in and of ourselves. Recognizing, of course, also that they need those material goods. They need to, you know, I can't just tell them Jesus loves you and not close them. Whereas, how do you perhaps find that time where, you know, now's an opportunity for me to, to, to evangelize, to share the gospel a little bit without, you know, here's this blanket as long as, you know, you'll listen to me or do this. Where do you find that timing? It's not a transaction, right? We're going to give you something and you're gonna, this is what you're going to do, right? Um, but if people are hungry to give them something to eat and they're thirsty, they, they're thirsty and want some coffee, go for it, you know? But city, it takes time then. It's not just a, an assembly line, right? But it, we have a coffee shop we run out of our house and uh, it's great because people, the regulars come every day, so they get their coffee and they get their sandwiches, and, and then you sit with them, and then there's something that opens up after they're like, okay, they just got up. Here's their coffee, like all of us. The caffeine's kicking in. You're like, okay, he's getting a little more, more with it, and then he eats, and, and then it's like, hey, what's going on, John? And, and then we, and I, I've told this to many of the students, like, learning to pray with people is a beautiful gift. Learning to, to call in the name of Jesus and just to bless someone for 30 seconds. It's not like a prayer meeting. It's not like even prayer for healing or anything crazy, but it, just learning to invite Jesus into the moment is going to what is going to be really ideal in these kinds of things. It's a real good, great gift to have, not only for the poor, but for students and for, especially if you guys are student leaders, just like to pray with the people you work with, to pray, pray with your, your friends who, who need help. And I know it could be kind of surprising, but like, hey, bro, can we pray for a second? And you just invite Jesus into that. Um, that's really ideal. So we teach our young guys, but I, my office is kind of looking out on the cafe when the guys are out there, and you see all like you, you see eight guys kind of spread out. They're talking to different people, and then you have see one guy has his hand on somebody's shoulder. One guy's, you know, and you see it all happening. And it's like, oh man, this is the 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 moment that enkindles this reality of, of God breaking in and Jesus coming. So, but it can be subtle and it doesn't have to be complicated. You feed someone, you sit with them, you hear what what's going on, and say, hey, can we invite Jesus into this? You know, so it's this powerful moment. And I would add if. If in the process of their sharing, and they share something about their life's event, rather than just uh, let it just pass by, ask, ask more about it. Just ask them to tell them about that. And you, if you see something that's very difficult, well, then can we, can we say a little prayer about that? You may realize they had a very a difficult time in their past and invite the Lord into that and pray for healing and, and freedom in that. What do you think might be the biggest obstacle or mental block that 
so, so many Catholics, ourselves included, have that we need to overcome to serve the poor better? What do you feel like is something that stops us? And how do we overcome that? It's inconvenient. <laughs> Serving the poor is inconvenient. I, you know, so I'm on the way to the subway and I got the timing down. And I know if I'm two minutes late to the, to the, to the subway station, I may be a half hour late to where we need to go. And uh, it's almost, we have to, uh, to factor in extra time. And uh, that takes sacrifice. Um, it takes sacrifice, uh, you know, wh wherever we go, what we do. Sometimes when you can stop by and be with the poor, you know it can't be just one minute because that might be rude. So that might incline you just to keep on going or just a simple acknowledgement, which is something. But, uh, but tell the soul of your heart to be able to be inconvenienced. I would just add to and I'll speak for myself. No judgment on any of you. Um, my self-love gets in the way. Just my self-interest, my preoccupation with what I do and what, my time, what I use my time for. And, and so it's a, it's a real thing. And I think for a lot of people, we have our... We have what we do. We have the, our mission and goal in life, and, and this, that, that's kind of what consumes us, right? And so, but this, this whole idea of Matthew 25, this whole idea of serving the material poor is not an option. It's not like a, a department in the church that some people get around to. You know, like Matthew 25 says, this is what judgment will be. You did, you did it to me. You know, and I have to, like, sit with that. I have to allow my heart to experience the reality that when I'm attentive to the poor, when I'm attentive to the leper, when I'm attentive to the prostitute, when I'm attentive to the drug addict and my experience of them, where I can get over my ego and I can get over my self-interest and I can get over like what I'm involved in and what I do and I can see them and, and be, encounter them, that, can, that conversion needs to happen in me. And even as, again, as a professional, um, I'm going to be held accountable for that. So I think there's a beautiful invitation and I think the saints show us that. This, as they grow in their relationship with the Lord, as they grow in their discipleship and experiencing what God is in their life, like all the saints had some encounter with the poor. You will never find a saint that didn't love the poor. And they looked different in saints' lives, but you will never find a saint that didn't. We were talking about Behar Giorgio Frasadji today. It's like, holy cow, people showed up and then he gave, gave away stuff at their house and his mom looked for it. Like, where's this? Well, he gave it to the neighbor who was in need. You know, so it's beautiful, but it's, it's convicting, and usually I get in the way of that. My own, my own stuff gets in the way of that. So a question to end on. Uh, any meditations, prayer recommendations you might have for us who, who desire to serve the poor, to see them, to encounter them? Initially, that comes to mind. Anything you read about Mother Teresa is always going to draw us in. Now, you know, we're not called to be missionaries for charity. We're not called to go to India, but she, her theology of the poor seeing Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor, seeking, seeking the lowly, seeking the outcast, loving them, um, and bringing joy to them and experiencing the Lord in them is always going to be a place that can light our hearts on fire and kind of maybe give us a new understanding of, um, yeah, what it means to serve the poor. I think that the gospel passage on, on uh, mercy, the, the prodigal son, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, to really place yourselves in, in those figures and, uh, and to take time to, to see what could have been, what would lead someone either to adultery or someone who's had five other husbands uh, and, or even the, the poverty that the prodigal son experienced being away 
and and to ask the Lord to just to be able to put yourself in their shoes and to love them accordingly. Okay. Well, thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Give me a hand, guys. <laughs>